You know, Harold, we sang that song over at the mission this morning, and they didn't know it either. I was surprised how many didn't know that song. How many of you knew that song before, Church is One Foundation? There's not a lot of you out here. I think it's one of those songs that we've quit singing, and I'm not sure why, because the lyrics of that song are just amazing. When when you think about what it talks about, the church, and who we are, and where we are, and that leads us into the message series we want to begin today that's uh, envisioned to be a five-week series about the importance of the church. Now, I want to help you understand we're not talking about this beautiful building. This church building is uh, an important place for us to come together, no doubt. But we're not talking about the facility. We're not talking about the walls. We're not talking about the maintenance of it, right, Kelly? We're talking about the people that make up the church. The word church in the New Testament is almost always a particular Greek word, ekklesia. It starts uh, with an E and a couple of Ks and an L-E-S-I-A, ekklesia. And what it means is not the foundation of the building or the walls of the building or the beautiful stained glass of a building. What it means is this, the called out assembly or congregation. So when we read the word new in the New Testament church, it's not speaking about facilities. He's talking about people, those who have been called out by God, gathered together in a particular place to form a congregation of believers. But why did God design and gather his people into local fellowships called churches? Why didn't he just let us worship by ourselves? Why didn't he just say, well, you're in the kingdom of God, just go on and do your thing and don't worry about it? What, why, why, why does he expect us to put in the effort to be a part of a local congregation? You know, sometimes people are difficult to get along with. You know, sometimes I'm difficult to get along with. Y'all can go ahead and amen that one. That's all right. But what I want you to gather is that God has a bigger purpose behind the church than sometimes we gather and we understand. He has us together for a greater purpose than just uh, sitting in rows of of people. Now, within the pages of Scripture, the word translated church overwhelmingly refers to a group of people that have gathered for some primary purposes, like fellowship, like um, worship, like accountability. Well, that's a tough one. How about ministry that he calls us together? And it seems that God designed the church so individual followers could be more productive than they could ever be by themselves. In our day, the importance of gathering as the church and as God's people seems to be waning, more and more people say, ah, it's optional, I don't need it. I, I follow Jesus, but I don't need the church. i got to tell you, I need the church. I need the fellowship of the church. I need the ministry of the church. I need the accountability of the church. The church is important to God, therefore it is important to me. And I'm convinced that God still has a purpose and plan for groups of called out ones coming together because it's in these settings that we're able to do things We could never do on our own. Now, this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been in Ephesians off and on this year several times, but there's a lot in Ephesians that I want you to see. And one of the things I want you to grasp is the importance of the church. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing to a church, a congregation of called out ones who lived in a place called Ephesus. Ephesus is a city, was a city uh, in western Turkey today. And there were a number of other churches. And if you want the list of those churches, you could go to Revelations uh, chapter 2 and 3, and there's a whole list of them. And Ephesus is one of them. I particularly personally believe that this letter was written to Ephesus, but then it was going to be shared with all the congregations of churches in the region. So it was a circular 
circular letter dealing with how to be God's people. See, these folks had come out of some pretty strange backgrounds. The Western Turkey, Western Asia Minor in that day was a very pagan area, very uh, just strange area. They had pagan temples to all kinds of crazy gods that they would worship in crazy ways. I mean, they would sacrifice people. They would do immoral acts as part of worship. It was just a strange area. But into that region, the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ came. And they received the truth of Christ. He changed their lives from the inside out. Then look what happens. They become called out and they become gathered together as congregations and trusting Jesus and trusting one another. And as a result of that, there were churches. And it was here they grew in their faith and became the body of Christ revealed to the world. And what Paul writes in this letter is an aid to them to help them understand how to live out their faith in a setting that is becoming that was extremely pagan. I think for us, that's an important distinction that we grasp. We live in a nation, a land that is becoming, if you haven't noticed, increasingly pagan. The world is headed down a road that God never wants us to go. And we as the church need to figure out how to deal with that. Not the building, the people. How we're going to live in this. So I want you to see this passage because the importance of the church to God, I think, is a great place to start this series. So let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 11. I only put 19 to 22 on the cover, but, but really it's a bigger section here than that. And so we're going to back up to 11 and take a run at 19 to 22. What I want you to see first of all is this. Life, life, our life begins separated from God. He's speaking to a people who grasped that truth because they had lived pagan lives and then come to know God when, when the gospel came to them. But look at verses 11 to 12. Therefore, Remember, remember, remember what? That at one time you were Gentiles in the faith called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, here's the second remember. Remember what? That you were at that time, catch this, separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We come to a passage that we understand Paul has just reminded them about the amazing work of Jesus on on their behalf, that Jesus had given himself on the cross to die for their sin, to give them the opportunity to have new life. They had been mercifully offered this life. They had been blessed with a great kindness, and now they needed to recall what it was like before. Do you remember what your life was like before? Many of us come to know Christ at younger ages, thankfully through the local work of churches, through Bible schools at churches, through Sunday schools at churches, through different ministries that we hear the gospel and we come to know Christ. And so because of that, maybe our life wasn't too radically changed because we were children when we came to know the Lord. But think back to what you were like without Christ. What would your life look like had you lived without Christ and developed a life without Christ and grown up to be an adult without Christ? What would your life have looked like if that's your case? Remember what you were like before. Here's the reality, my friends. We were separated from God. Instead of walking a path of joy and hope and peace and potential, we had all that we had was this, a life of bitterness, a life of hopelessness, a life of strife, a life of no direction. But that all changed when? When they heard the gospel. 
It changed for us when? We heard the gospel. We heard the work of Jesus. And in the sovereignty of God, he chose for himself a people, descendants descendants of Abram, bringing uh, the Gentiles along eventually. And thankfully, the Ephesian believers finally got to the place where the gospel came to them, and they heard it. Paul says, do you remember what you were like before? You lived a dark existence. You were alienated from the commonwealth. You were strangers of the covenant. You had no hope. You had no God. You didn't have his love. You didn't have his grace. Here's the thought I want you to grasp from these two verses. It's this. Everyone, everyone, everyone starts life, what? Separated from God. You began your existence separated from God. I remember when we brought our our first child home. She'll be 21 uh, this summer. Where have the years gone? right? And we looked at that baby and she was so beautiful. She was so amazing. She had so much potential. But can I tell you something? Part of my spirit acknowledged another truth about her. She was lost. She didn't know Jesus. Now, what would have happened had she died as an infant? We're not going to debate that issue this morning, okay? That's not the point of the message. But I want you to understand is everyone starts life separated from God. We are not born sinless. We are not born perfect. Rather, we begin with a rebellious heart that is bent away from God, headed in the wrong direction with an outcome that's going to be awful unless there's a change. That's where we begin. That's why the the writer of the Romans made it really clear to us when he said this, for... Many of you have sinned. Have you noticed that's a very strong statement in the Romans 3.23 passage? He says what? For, say it with me, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone's a sinner. Every one of us deal with sin from birth. It's our nature. It's our reality. It's our existence. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may think, well, Patrick, that doesn't sound very loving. You ought to say everyone's just amazing and wonderful and everyone's good and everything's great and things are wonderful. I've got to tell you something. I think telling the truth has much more power than telling you a story because the truth has the potential to set you, what, free. And when we understand we've got a problem... It opens the door for a solution. What Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus, and I think by by extension, is before we met Jesus, we were headed in the wrong direction. We were born lost, and without a radical heart change, our destination was permanently separated from God. So once we were separated from God, you're going, I thought we were talking about the church today. Hang in there with me because we're headed there. Number two, But we can be reconciled to God. Look what he says in verse 13. But now, I love that, don't you? But now, we got a new direction. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were, who once were far off, have been what? Brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, he who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And might, catch this, do what? Reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. 
Paul brings to mind the change that was brought in their lives. He wants them to think back to the moment when God not only called them out, but they did what? They said, yes. You know, it's one thing to hear the call of God. It's another thing to answer the call of God. You say, well, I heard God calling me one day. Did you answer him? Well, no, I put him on hold. How'd that go for you? We have to answer the call. They needed, they had to remember not just to hear the call, but to answer the call. And he succinctly describes what happens when you answer the call. He said, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought where? Near. How? By the blood of Christ. Because of the work of Jesus at the cross where his blood was shed violently, individuals now have the opportunity to come near to God. Instead of going off in a million different directions, their lives have intersected with God. We have new life. We have new purpose. We have new direction. We have new meaning. And what they'd experienced was this, and they were still experiencing is this, this ongoing relationship with God that was changing them because they were reconciled to God. Notice the grand purpose of the reconciliation of you and me. Look at verse 16. To reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. What Jesus does for those who answer his call is to bring them into, catch this, one body through the cross. The body to which he refers is what? The body of Christ. The body of Christ gathered in a local congregation of saints living their lives unto him. You know, there's a lot of talk here about abolishing the law of commandments and creating the new man out of two. But the big idea is this radical transformation that God brings to those of us who've been reconciled. In Christ, we are never the same. In Christ, we have a new name. In Christ, we have new purpose. In Christ, we have new direction. In Christ, we walk together in one body. Isn't it amazing what God can do? When we say yes, this leads me to this thought. Reconciliation to God leads us to connect with the body of Christ. Reconciliation to God leads us to connect with the body of Christ. You know, part of God's master plan as he brings together those who answer his call is to be a local expression of God. In those days, they didn't have a big worship facility like we have. They didn't have a big building on the corner of Maine and whatever in, in Ephesus called First Baptist Church. They didn't have that. You know why? It was a whole different environment, a whole different situation. The big building that was worshipped in in that day was a pagan temple, and you surely didn't want to walk in there. Instead, they would worship, get this, in the marketplace, in the market square. They would gather in people's homes, and they would worship together as the body of Christ, expressing their love for one another and living together in fellowship I think that makes the local expression of churches of prime importance because it is here that the body becomes transformed. Because our reconciliation leads us to connect with the body of Christ, then we begin to be transformed by the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit into the image of his dear son. It is there we grow in faith. It is there we grow and develop our prayer lives further. It is there we work, that we see the work of God set loose in us. I cannot understand, my friends, how anyone who's really committed to Jesus can say, I want nothing to do with his church. I don't get that. I don't understand how you can say, well, I love God, but I don't like his church. That's kind of like saying, well, I love Patrick's kids, but I hate Patrick. We're a package deal. Do you know that? You love my kids, you love me. You know why? Because them's me. You with me? I said, well, I don't like your kids. I think they're just awful. Well, then you don't love me because you don't love my kids. 
I can't say to you, I love God, but not love his church. I love his church. I love each one of you. Now, I may not like everything you do, but I love each one of you. Y'all with me? Just like you say, well, I love you, Patrick, but I don't like everything you do. Man, you know what? I don't like everything I do. I have arguments with myself sometimes, and I rarely win. It's crazy how that works out. Y'all with me? Jude, you know, you know the, the book of Jude, we always study Jude devotionally all the time, don't we? Jude talked about some interesting things rather quickly, but he talked about them. He, in this little epistle called, uh, to the called beloved of God, he writes this. He says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, look at verse 21, keep yourselves where? In the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. As we're reconciled to God, here's what happens. We want to be with God's people. I have never met a person who has truly come to know Jesus that didn't have in their spirit a drive that said, I need to be with God's people. I got to get connected somewhere. I got to be a part of a local congregation. I got to be a part of a Bible study. I got to be in a group with other people who are following Jesus. I can't do this alone. Can I tell you something? I can't do this alone. I need you. I need all of you. Because without the local church, we simply drift through life, missing the good foundation of reconciliation. So once we were separated from God, but now we can be reconciled to God and we can be fellow citizens through God. Look at verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer, catch this, strangers and aliens. That word alien could also be translated sojourners, you know, like a traveler. But you are what? Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He talks to us about how we become fellow citizens in the kingdom. And he uses a very vivid image here of a pathway of a stranger or a sojourner as they come through life and come to a new place and a new existence and a new reality and they become part of what? Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Some people say, well, membership is not even in the Bible. We shouldn't even talk about membership. Let me tell you something. Membership is right here in the Bible. We need to be members of the body of Christ. We need to be members of the kingdom of God. We need to be members of something. Now, does that mean if you put your name on a local church roll, you're good to go? Probably but maybe not because membership in a congregation is not the answer. The membership in the kingdom of God is. They're related, but they're separate. What he's talking about here is our membership in the spiritual body of Christ, the church universal revealed by our connection to a local body of believers. And while there is certainly a place to be on the role of a church, our membership and connection in the body is what changes us. Being a fellow citizen in the kingdom of God brings us new purpose, new meaning. Notice the foundation upon which the citizenship, citizenship is built. The apostles, the saints, and who's the cornerstone? Jesus. He's not talking about a building. He's talking about people. Because as God brings together each unique piece, he forms a congregation able to do specific things. 
He gathers them in a place to be the people he needs them to be. Here's what I want you to see real quickly. Every local congregation already has every gift and talent to be what God needs us to be. Will you let that sink in just a minute? What we often do in local church life is this. We hear, well, so-and-so's church is doing this, 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 this ministry, and this church is doing this activity, and they're doing this thing, and they're doing that thing. Can I tell you something? Praise God for those churches, right? They're doing the things that God's called them to do. But them's them's and we's we's. You got it? Or we's us. It's even worse, right? You got the point, though, right? God brought us together. Brought, God brought you and me together to accomplish certain things. See, in the ancient world, they had one church in Ephesus. They had the church in Ephesus. That's all they had. We have multiple expressions. Now, this comes partly because of disagreements, but really it comes from an emphasis of starting new congregations that is rooted in the New Testament. But what it does is it opens the door for different expressions of Christ in a community, different connection points in a, in a local area. What Paul pointed out to the Corinthians church is this, their identity. He says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. His point, I think, is plain. Every part of the local congregation brings a particular set of skills, interests, and spiritual gifts to the table. And the mix of people is by godly design. Hear me. If you're part of this fellowship, you are here because God placed you here. And you have gifts and abilities and talents that he wants you to release through your local congregation. But well, so-and-so's church does great. Praise God. What's he got for you here? I don't want to look down the road thinking we could be, we could. I want to be the people God wants us to be. Amen? To be the church he wants us to be. Just like individuals in the kingdom are not expected to do everything, local churches are not expected to do everything either. We cannot do every ministry that's ever been thought about in the world. Did you know that? Can't do it. One, we don't have a calling to do it. Two, we may not have the giftedness to do it. Three, we probably don't have the resources to do all of them. So instead, let's do the ones that God has given us and do them well. To do them under the Lord and be the people he wants us to be. And number four, plus we become the dwelling place of God. Look at verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, now as, as a people, we've been reconciled to God. We, we learn to live as fellow citizens of God in fellowship. And we become something, I think, quite special as citizens in the kingdom. But there's a truth I want you to think and see here. I think it's a profound one about the church that I believe we desperately need to understand, especially in this day when we seem to be going in a thousand different directions and we seem to be splintering as a society into multiple directions and nobody wants to talk to anybody anymore and everyone wants to talk about everybody anymore. We're missing something here about unity and being the people of God. 
God's plan to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ was primarily and is primarily designed to be done by the local church. You go, well, what about Billy Graham? Praise God for Billy Graham. Great man of God. But I can tell you this, I believe and know, let me rephrase this, I know without a doubt, more people have come to know Jesus through the work of local churches of people gathered together to be the kingdom of God in a local expression like us as this church than have ever come to know Christ through the work of a Billy Graham. Think back to the moment you trusted Christ. Where were you at? You might have been in a Billy Graham crusade. You might have been in a a men's conference somewhere. But most of us, if we're honest, we'd say, well, I was at a Sunday school class. I was at a youth camp with my church. I was at Bible school at my church, a local church. Most of us, that's how we come to know the Lord. God's plan to reach the world is through churches like us. And when you read the New Testament, what you discover is the gospel has moved as it moved out from Jerusalem, as it moved to churches, to churches, to churches that were gathered together, ecclesias, gathered people who hear the gospel and come together and make congregations to be the family of God. Do you know how many churches there are in the New Testament? Let me give you the list. Sit back for a second. Pisidian Antioch, Syrian Antioch, Athens, Berea, Sincrea, Caesarea, Colossae, Corinth, Crete, Cyrene, Damascus, Derby, Ephesus, Hierapolis, Iconium, Jerusalem, Joppa, Laodicea, Lydda, Lystra, Pergamum, Puteoli, Rome, Sardis, Sharon, Smyrna, Tarsus, Thessalonica, Thyatira, and Troas. Oh, wait, there's also regions of churches in the New Testament. Phoenicia, Samaria, Judea, Galatia, Asia, and Macedonia. What God has done over and over again through the ages is this. Gather people, call them out, ecclesia them out to create local congregations of believers who then do the work of the kingdom of God in their region. That's what he did here in the late 1800s. Called out a group of people who formed a church that we still have the blessing of being a part of. And in those places, the presence of God is revealed and glorified for others to see. The work of God is amazing. Its purpose is to draw people to himself. Uh, Listen, that's not to denigrate the work of an evangelist or a parachurch organization, but the vast majority of the work of the kingdom is done through places just like this as we gather together to be the church. He's just reminding the people at Ephesus of the work of God in them. Which leads me to this point. As we gather with other believers, what do we do? We're supposed to lift up the mighty name of Jesus. That's a high calling. Friends, that's a high calling. Back in the Gospel of John, we read the words of Jesus as he was headed to the cross. He knew what he was about to do was important to you and me because his sacrifice would make our redemption possible. But in this act, he also opened the door for the working of God to be done through groups of people like you and me in churches like this. 
For as the people of God came together to accomplish those things that God intended them to do, Jesus would be lifted up. Why do we do Bible school in the fun in the summer? Because it's fun. It is. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. Why do we do that? To lift up who? The name of Jesus. Why do we have worship services on Sunday morning? So we can hear the kids play handbells and then sing and we sing some songs and listen to a guy ramble on for 30 minutes and we go home. No, we do it to why? To lift up Jesus. Why do we have small groups for you to get involved in where you can open up and have honest conversation with other believers so that we can what? Know your business and gossip about you. No, we do it so we can lift up who? The name of Jesus. Jesus said about himself, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He was talking specifically about the cross, but I think he was also speaking about what happens in the the kingdom of God through local churches as we live out the life that God has for us, which is to what? Lift up the name of Jesus. And if we'll do that, God will do his work and draw people to himself. Does the church matter to God? Absolutely. The local church is the primary avenue through which God draws people into and then maintains with them a relationship with God. And how dare we denigrate or reject the working of God in the local church? How dare we think we can somehow go it alone? I don't need them. I got God. Oh, the arrogance, the hubris of a statement like that. God designed the church as the primary place where the work of God is done in this world. So how do you find that work? Well, you've got to know Jesus first. You say, well, I joined a church. No, I didn't ask if you joined a church. I said, do you know Jesus? Did you come to the place where you trusted him, where you gave your heart to him? Were you, as John Wesley said years ago, my heart was strangely warmed by the presence of God. Have you had that experience? Religion will leave you dry. Religion will leave you frustrated. Religion will leave you mad. Jesus will bring you hope. Jesus will bring you joy. Maybe you need to trust Jesus today. Maybe the day is the day you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Come in. Maybe the day is the day you say, would you forgive me of my sin? I want to follow you. I don't want to play a game. I want to have a relationship with you and with other believers. Father God, we pray right now for those who need to respond in some kind. Father, the opportunity to respond will be open for a few moments. And we pray, God, that you would um, touch our hearts, that we wouldn't say, well, I'm good enough. (laughs) I'm not good enough. God, you're good enough. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to give our lives to you, Lord. For those who need to make a decision, I pray that they would feel free to do that right now. For those who need to just spend a minute praying, they would do that. Father, we want you to be in charge. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We want you to draw us together in Jesus' name.